Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the No Fluff, actionable marketing podcast for marketers, marketing consultants, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you'll learn how to grow your customer base through email. Email is a topic we've talked about once in the show uh, with Andre Chaperon. We haven't really touched on the subject for a long time, so that's why I'm super happy to have you Uh, Val on the podcast. Uh, you are an email marketer who helps SaaS and subscription-based e-commerce brands to convert leads, to retain customers in the long term, and to close more recurring revenue. You're also the founder of Fix My Churn, and I think listeners have guessed what this service does, which is really to help to fight churn using emails. You spend over a decade behind the scenes of any possible business and business model. And you work with a lot of really well-known companies in the space like Podia, Buffer, Aweber, Stripe, Envision, AppCuse, etc., etc., etc. And you're also very famous, I would say, in the world of tech, I would say, or marketing for your email teardowns. I think the one that I would remember for a long time is the one from uh, from Spotify. So super happy to have you mm -hmm. on board, Val. Welcome. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. I've been a fan of the show for a long time, and I'm surprised that in the world of marketers and marketing that you've only talked about email once. Only once. It's such, a, it's such an important piece. Yes. And there's so many parts of email that are that can be done and that are done really badly and that are done really well. So there's, I mean, we could talk for a long time about we can. shitty email. And we will. <laughs> Again, I guess I can tell you the reason, right? Whenever I do interviews, whenever I try to pick guests and try to cover different topics, I always ask myself, will this episode be relevant if someone listens to it in five years, 10 years, or even 50 years, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And to me, email is a channel that is unlikely to move and to, to, to go, right? And even if it goes, it might be replaced by another type of communication that is very similar, maybe like Facebook Messenger or something similar. But the, the principle behind them might remain the same. Uh, it's just a personal, I, I guess it's not nothing to do with email. It's more like, you know, the guests I had on the show, not really me trying not to speak about email too much. But there isn't that many people that I trust in the space around email. So you are one of the, the ones that I follow on this. So I'm speaking too much at, uh, at the minute. So let's go back to you. What mm -hmm. do you think that email as a channel is likely to be still like relevant in five years, 10 years, even 50 years? Yeah, there have been articles for, I don't know, I've been run, I started my business in 2011, 2011. And I know I read articles back then that said, email is dead. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and both sides of it, like email will never die and email is dead. And I feel like every year, those sets of articles come out in some new way, sometimes regurgitating the same shit everybody else already said. So, you know, I just feel like there's this constant battle of is email relevant or not. And yet we all still talk about our inboxes all the time. It doesn't matter how many Slack channels we have. We still have emails to attend to. You know, you see screenshots of people's inboxes where they have like 27,000 unread emails and those make me yeah i'm like i can't even look at that like i don't i want to run and find that person and help them so yeah. badly but yeah i mean email is not going anywhere and it will change so, so if somebody listens to this in 10 years guaranteed 
a Gmail inbox is going to look really different in 10 years and have different rules and deliverability. Some of that more technical stuff is going to change. But the foundation of written communication from a business to a person will never change. Like you said, whether that's email or messenger or whatever the next platform is, a lot of what happens in the world of email can be applied to just communication in general. What do you think makes email so sticky compared to other channels that come and go like, you know, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever channel that were there, that are dead now that I don't even remember because they're dead. What do you think makes, <laughs> what is the, dif the fundamental difference between email and, and all of those other channels, do you think? Because you own your communication and everything else is algorithm based for the most part. I don't know every single platform. Like I don't even have Snapchat, but I think that that one is like you can send messages directly to somebody, but everything else is algorithm. Like these influencers on Instagram who have 150,000 followers, it's up to Instagram if like if I follow one of those people and it's up to Instagram if I get that post. So, and I've heard about Insta Instagram influencers. I was listening to a piece this morning about how they, this one woman said, well, I spend two hours shooting, but that's after an, an hour or two of planning, um, an hour of sourcing props, you know, like three hours doing some like hashtag research. So they do a full day's work for one image that maybe a third of their followers are going to see. If you do a full day's work for one email, every single person is on your email list. Um, as long as you have, you know, good deliverability, good reputation with inboxes, all of those things, and you're not landing in spam, every single person who is on your email list is going to get that email. And so it's like, I think that that is the staying power of email is that it's a direct line of communication. You're not relying on other platforms to say whether you like deserve to be seen or not. And then it's just a matter of like keeping up with your sending reputation, which is a bit like predicting the weather. Mm. <laughs> like sometimes you can really get it right. And sometimes you say it's going to rain and it's sunny all day. So, yeah, I, I guess the other reason why email is, is, is sticky <laughs> is this Uh, the fact that you, as you said, you own it and, and it's not the email, um, the email system, the way it's built behind the scenes, the SNTP and, uh, and all of the technology behind it is not owned by a company that controls its output, right? right? It's, uh, I'm not going to say something stupid. It's probably not open source, but at least it's a technology that is available to everyone. And it's, that, it's not owned by one corporation. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, there are dozens of inboxes. So like an Instagram post is only being posted to Instagram and only being delivered through Instagram. An email is being delivered by, you know, any number of dozens of ESPs and then landing in any number of dozens of inbox types, Gmail, Outlook, Hotmail. People still have AOL. <laughs> so <laughs> so we'll see. If someone's listening 10 years from the day this posts, they can let us know if AOL still exists at that point. <laughs> yeah. So if you're listening to this podcast in 2029, please send me an email because that would be really funny. Yeah. And also email will be the only way to, to guarantee to reach you. <laughs> There you go. Because, yeah, Instagram, you, you never know. Okay. So I think we, we made a compelling case for why email is still important nowadays. But maybe I'm, I'm just want to ask you one last a bit challenging question. I'm playing devil's advocate here as, as always, but 
you know, when I think of my little sister, for example, and when I think of her habits online, I don't see her going onto her email that much. I see her using right. all of those platform way more. Don't you think there is, a, there is a risk in the future that we are not going to be able to reach out the younger generations that are, that are coming in? Well, doesn't, they don't seem to be used to email that much anymore. Yeah, it's true. It's not the first platform of choice. Like, I think maybe our generation, definitely people older than us, the first thing they check is email. Whereas the first thing a younger generation checks is Snapchat, maybe. But if let's say you are that Instagram influencer with 150,000 followers. If you have a weekly email that you send out and you use Instagram to promote that email list, whether it's a link in your bio that links to, you know, to the email list sign up, or you use a post every week to tell people to go check their inboxes. I think if you are able to give people the directive of checking their inbox, they're going to they're going to pay attention. It's a lot in the same way that there have been studies about the millennial generation that they're more likely to trust influencers than they are to trust a brand. And that's why brands are going to influencers all the time. I think that that trust that's been built up with the influencers extends to what they ask of you. So they're asking you to invest in brands. But if, they, if, if you're willing to do that, then it's a super easy ask for them to say, go check your email. Um, instead of like, please make this purchase and help me make a living. It's a $0 ask to ask someone to check their email. And if you do it right, um, especially for those influencers who are, you know, you relying on Instagram to deliver their content and then link their followers to a affiliate link for a particular product. If that link is also inside of an email, uh, the likelihood of people Coming, being able to come back to it, to find it again, to link through. If they go and check their email, if they missed your previous post, they'll see it in the email. So I feel like it just makes sense. I don't think that email will always be the absolute like epicenter of communication with customers, but I do think that it will always exist in some capacity. Makes sense. Makes sense to me. So today... We wanted to talk about how to grow like your customers, how to get more customers through email, right? And you have an interesting mm -hmm. take on that. You know the concept of the show, you listen to it. You know that I like to go into like details step by step so that people listening right now can actually apply that to their business uh, straight away without having to guess or without without having to to find uh, those steps out themselves. So let's play this exercise together and perhaps you can pick an example of a business that is like the typical business you like to use as an example for this process, or maybe you don't have to because maybe the principles behind behind this is the same everywhere, whatever you want. But let's get started and talk about a process really help people to grow their, their, their customer base through email. So what is what would be step one, or at least do you have any foundations you, you like to set before starting into kind of this methodology? Yeah, so when I think about growing a customer base, I think farther down the funnel than most people do. So most people think about acquisition and very top of funnel, you know, going out and getting new customers. That's how you grow a customer base. I think it happens. It does happen there, obviously, but it also can happen and happen very easily through email further down the funnel when there is some kind of retention sequence in place and some uh, relationship being built with your customers who already exist. And their job then becomes a, a free marketing team who goes out and helps you 
get new customers, right? So there's there's that side of it that like, okay, attracting new customers is in one way or another asking your existing customers to bring new customers in for you. The other side of it is that a lot of the companies I work with, uh, so I work with SaaS and subscription-based e-commerce, and a lot of the SaaS companies I work with have a pricing structure where if their customer's business grows, they grow, right? So they move up pricing plans, they need new features, you know, as they grow, then then my client's business grows without any new customers at all. So it's a little bit of a thought experiment of like, let's say we have 15,000 customers in our customer base. If all if we shut off the pipeline of like, we're not bringing in any new customers at all, how do we grow our business? And that's by helping the existing customers you have. If, if your pricing model is such that them growing means you grow, then you can still grow your monthly recurring revenue using your existing customers and building the relationship and helping them. So that's where I think email is really powerful is connecting with your customers and creating a relationship that goes beyond like, we're a piece of software doing a thing for you or in the world of e-commerce, like we're a product fulfilling a need to now we are a group of people who uh, are connecting with another person on the other side of the email and and solving a problem, fulfilling a need, um, creating a change for them, building relationships to me is what email does best. Right. So let's let's take the example of, let's say, a subscription-based e-commerce. I don't think we've ever taken such example before, so that would, okay. that would be nice to use. Uh, and maybe like you can mention a client of yours, you don't have to mention their name, or just pick a random example. So let's, for the sake of it, I don't know, what, what type of subscription-based e-commerce would you like to talk about? Okay, so a client that I've worked with works in the in a consumable product. So they work in food and in the world of like ketogenic food, right? So um, it's consumable and it's a very specific niche and it's an audience who is super excited about the type of food that they are eating and this new lifestyle. So we can start with them. Okay, so yeah, and, and we don't necessarily have to just stay to this client, but just in general, yeah. we'll, we'll apply, apply the principle if you have subscription. And perhaps there are some principles that could be applied if you don't have a subscription-based business. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of stuff you can learn from that, right? Yeah, and I mean, I, I like this example because it's a consumable, which in the world of e-commerce, if you don't have a subscription set up on your consumable product, like that's the first thing you should go do. You should actually just stop listening to this and go set that up because, and then come back and listen to the rest. But I think like you're doing yourself and your customers a disservice if you have a consumable product, food, makeup, other stuff that I can't think of right now and aren't utilizing a subscription model for it. Why not? Well, because, okay, for example, there I use a deodorant called Lume. They, uh, deodorant, is consumable. I use it up. At some point, it's gone. Um, they don't have a subscription set up on their platform. So um, also, the bottle is um, opaque. So I can't actually see how much is left. And so I get to what amounts to like maybe two days worth of deodorant left. And I'm like, oh, I have to order more deodorant. Well, now it's going to take more than two days for the order to be placed, fulfilled, shipped to me. Um, so while I have now made the decision to order like two or three at a time, 
Um, it would benefit me so much more as a customer if they had a subscription set up where they say, hey, it takes most of our customers six weeks to go through a tube of deodorant. And would you like to be on a six-week recurring subscription? Um, I would say yes to that in a heartbeat. And I'm sure so many of their other customers would. Uh, and it benefits them because now they have ongoing revenue where, uh, and then I'm not frustrated. I I like get mad at this brand every time I start to run out of it's a great deodorant, but I get mad at this this particular thing. Like I can't see how much is left, and then I just run out. And now I'm stuck with um, you know whatever I have in my cabinet until it gets here. Um, and I have to like remember to go from the time I run out of deodorant to like everything else that's happening. If you think about your mornings, everything you do all morning as you're getting ready, and then. When you sit down at your computer or you pick up your phone, remembering, okay, now I have to go on the website and buy more deodorant. Sometimes you forget. So it does everybody a, a service to set a subscription up. And I need to I need to email them and tell them that. Let's do that, yeah, at the end of this podcast. Um, so actually, I think there, the example you just gave of deodorant is actually a really good example. So let's say we work with them. Uh, when you typically start working with the clients and, and, and for listeners listening in who want to set up the same process, what do you do? What is the first step? What do you tend to do when you when you get set up, when you get started? Uh, the first thing I do is I want to know about the customers, uh, about my clients' customers. So um, I always start with customer research. And most of my clients think that they know their customers really well. Um, especially in the world of SaaS and e-commerce, they're typically their first customer. Um, they created the product because they needed it. And they couldn't find it anywhere else. And so they built it. Um, I mean, how many T-shirt companies come out of somebody like <laughs> designing their own first T-shirt and then being like, I can screen print anything. Um, so, you know, they think because they were their first customer that they know all of their customers inside and out. Um, and the fact of the matter is, after a period of time, and typically where you're at a point where you're hiring someone like me, your business has grown to where you are no longer your best customer. The customer has changed, their needs have changed. And uh, and the the other thing is, is that usually the conversations you're having with your customers is uh, centered around the product and their user experience. Um, I wanna do research that centers around the customer and who they are, the way that they think, how they make purchasing decisions, um, what matters most to them. And I use a, a technique called jobs to be done to do those interviews. So yeah, that's we, the very first thing I do. We talk about jobs to be done quite a few times in the podcast. I think we, we talked yeah. to Claire Schoenentrop uh, about it. We also talked yeah. uh, to the author of um, When Coffee and Kale Compete. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to fucking remember his name, but we did talk about that as well. So I think listeners are quite familiar with Jobs to be Done, which is good. Um, but maybe you can tell us more about um, the outcome um, that you want out of the research, because we did talk also a lot of customer about customer research in the past. And I think your unit take is how you apply that to, to email. So what at the end of this process, like when you want to understand the jobs that your customer want to uh, are hiring uh, this product to do, what do you like to have in front of you, like to really have a solid understanding of that customer? What do you think is the ultimate list of things you, you know? Yeah, so the things I'm looking for are 
um, what their day-to-day looks like and how they like to communicate. So a customer who is a software engineer is a very different kind of customer than a um, mom of three kids, right? So uh, sometimes those are the same person. Um, but in, in as far as the, the product goes, um, their needs are different. The level of communication is different. Um, the amount of communication is different. So knowing more about them, what their days look like is really helpful to understanding, okay, how often should I be emailing them? Um, What's the length of the emails? What do they want included in the emails? How are they consuming emails? To know a software engineer is typically sitting at his or her computer and, um, and likely using your software for their work day. Um, So they're consuming your emails from a desktop during the week. A mom of three kids who has your app um, for taking video of their family, um, she's likely consuming your emails on her phone also because you have an app. So it's likely she's on her phone a lot. She's on the go. Um, She's probably not connected to Wi-Fi when she's on emails, which matters as far as like what kind of elements you put in your emails, how templated they are, um, you know, those kinds of things, like knowing how they go through their day on average is incredibly helpful to understanding the email framework and the, the strategy behind the email. So how do you find that out, actually? Because, we again, we talked on a podcast in the past around research, but never really about research applied to email and communication. So how do you find that out? Uh, so the very first question, so... There's two things that happen. One is we we have our clients send a survey to three different segments of customers. We typically are looking for uh, the very best customers, um, so like your most active clients, um, the um, customers who have had an account for a period of time and then canceled. Uh, And then customers who had a trial or in the case of e-commerce, maybe bought once and never bought again. Um, So had a trial and never converted to a paid account in the world of SaaS. So we we send a survey out to everybody and we ask a series of questions. Um, And the very first one is like, tell me about what you do. What's your day look like? Um, Walk walk me through an average day for you. Um, and, And then... As they start to, the questions start out talking 100% about them. Um, what does your day look like? What is your job title and your role? Um, what, uh, who influences you when you're making purchasing decisions? Do you make those on your own? Do you ask somebody in your family? Um, you know, those kinds of things. So we talk a lot about them. And then uh, throughout the survey, we get closer and closer to the product. So we end up talking about like, um, what happened in this product when you realized this is definitely for me? Or in the case of people who don't have an account or haven't purchased anymore, what happened that made you think this isn't for me anymore? Um, so we do start to talk about the product, but in relationship to them. And um, so we send the survey first just to kind of uh, feel people out. We get a ton of responses to surveys. And the last question of the survey is, would you be open to a chat? about what matters most to you in the world, how you think, you know, those kinds of things. Like, would you be willing to talk to one of us? And we ask them a yes, no on that. Uh, We tend to get about 80% of people say yes. 
And, and then we send out interview requests to get them on our schedule. We're actually in the process of that right now for two clients, um, getting interviews scheduled. And the interviews really do a deeper dive on those same questions. So we ask them, you know, in a survey, you're only going to write a couple of sentences max on uh, like what your day looks like. But um, like I recently talked to a, an architect uh, as a, it was a, a customer of a video software um, and, and he was talking about uh, winning contracts because he sends videos. And I, and just in the conversation, I was able to say, wait a second. So you're saying that you're winning contracts more often because you're sending videos. What, talk me through that. Like, what is that? I don't, I've never sent an architectural contract. So what does that look like? And so he just talked me through like, well, I used to sit down and plot out all of these points and send this huge PDF. And that's what all of my competitors do. But now I sit down and I record a video for them and I walk them through the PDF audibly and I send the PDF, but I also send the video. And I've had clients, he said he had had clients choose him and tell him that it was solely because they got to know him through video. I would have never gotten that information in a survey and I would have never gotten that information in like a product related call. And that's um, why, sorry to cut you, but that's super interesting. And, and I promise listeners uh, right now that I don't pick guests and make them say, you need to start with customer research every time. I don't force them to say that. It's, <laughs> it's amazing to know that the marketers believe in the long game, in the long term, we believe that marketing starts with the market, all use the same uh, first step. And that's what matters, right? So Val is talking about it from an email perspective. Everyone else has been talking about it from a different perspective, but it's the, tr the single truth that unites all of those marketers, in my opinion. Thanks for going, so, for going through that. And you know, I hear sometimes people talking about interviews saying, oh, but, you know, you only interview 10 customers. How do you know if it's statistically significant, right? And that makes me laugh so much because those people have clearly not interviewed customer yet. They don't understand the power of talking to 10 people saying the almost the exact same thing in their own yes. language. And it, there's no statistically significant or not. It's just, it's just so fucking clear that you must do something when you see their face, their body language. It's so fucking clear that you don't need the math behind it. It's just, let's right. go for it. We usually stack our interviews too. So we'll do like a Tuesday of just back-to-back -back interviews. Um, and so then we can uh, start to hear the patterns really quickly, right? If you spread them out over lots of weeks, um, you might not notice it. But when you sit down for six interviews over the course of a, a Tuesday and you hear the same thing over and over by the sixth one, you're like, I know exactly how they're going to answer this. Um, and sometimes they surprise you. But the other thing I do with the survey results is um, I'll go through and I'll do like a command F for a particular word. Like I'll see a word a lot or a phrase a lot. And so I'll search the document for it and see how many results I have of that word in these survey results. Uh, and then I, I highlight those for my clients and say, like, look, this is coming in again and again and again. So those things, those responses become email subject lines. They become call to action buttons. Um, they become the, the whole framework of the email sequence. Right. So, um, you know, being able to say in a subject line like uh, 
he so this architect was saying that he now all he does is send video and he closes you know statistically larger number of projects because of the videos um and so to say something like you know win eight times more projects uh with video like someone's gonna be interested in opening that if they're a freelancer yeah um and and hearing and the other thing is is that we're humans we this is a podcast people listen to podcasts because they want to hear other people's stories we are all like um walking around and i love taking like dusk walks around my neighborhood because um not in like a creepy voyeur <laughs> way but there's just something there's something interesting and very human nature about wanting to walk around and look at other people's like looking in somebody's apartment window and thinking like hmm, i wonder what they're doing right now um you know or hearing someone else's story that makes you feel like okay i'm not alone in this um and that's one of my favorite things about big cities is going for walks around and just thinking like, Oh, that person has a really nice garden. Like, I wonder how much time they spend on it and just thinking about that person's life. And there's something that that happens for every, almost every human being I've ever met cares about other people's stories and how they relate to them. And so when you can take other people's actual stories and use them in email copy, um, it helps people relate to your brand in a totally different way than like, hey, we built this amazing feature and isn't it awesome? And uh, like nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> but, if the, but if the feature helps you land eight times more clients on your proposals, yeah. then they care. Of course they care. Uh, I have to say, though, it's a bit creepy what you, what you do. You know, <laughs> I'm not sure everyone Walking does around. that, you know, on purpose. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've talked to a lot of people who, um, you know, especially like when it's when it's getting dark and just like that, there's people have lamps on and TVs on and it's like, oh, OK, there's a family sitting down watching TV or, um, you know, it's just it's nice to think about what other people are are up to in their world. And it's cool to hear other people's stories, too, especially when it relates back to yours. Great. So. You talked about uh, sending a survey to people who are your best customers, people who bought, uh, who actually churned recently, and people who only bought once or or were in the or just were in the trial but never bought. Can you remind me maybe the top three questions you like to ask? So you mentioned talk me through like your day, describe your day in more detail. What else do you like to ask? What are the top three? Um, yeah, so I asked them um, top three. Let's see. So in the in the sense of like what matters most to them, uh, I would say that how do you describe the work that you do? Like, how do you describe your day to day work? Um, because everybody has some kind of work, um, whether they work at a job or not. Uh, I think it's important to ask them what they're working on right now, um, like what what matters most to them right now. That gives you some insight into what is most pressing for them. And in relationship to that, the third question about them that I would ask is, what is the biggest problem they're facing on an ongoing basis? What is it the thing that kind of like, quote, keeps them up at night or right. bothers them in general that they are trying to solve? Okay. And then you set up, you tend to set up back-to-back -back customer interviews during like on the same day to really build this empathy for them and see patterns qu quicker and all of that. Yeah. You mentioned all, as well doing a command F on, on Excel. 
I actually use an n-gram analyzer sometimes as well. So it gives you this yeah. like frequency of words used, even even association of words. And I've started to use another tools like not machine learning tools, but more like AI tools that analyze text and then give you context automatically based on interviews. And it's quite good to cool. see themes as well. But I always come back to like command F as well to, to see words and and to see what people use. It's quite powerful when you start saying, you know, listen, everyone says the same thing. There's no there's no fucking way this is a this is right. by chance. Like just we need to use this word more often. Okay, so you have this research in front of you, you know you know about your, there are those customers way better. You have answers to those top questions. What do you do next? What is, how do you translate that into email that works? Yeah. Well, and I'll go back and say when you do those uh, interviews, um, to do them on something like Skype or Zoom or whatever, 10 years from now is video services, uh, and, um, and then get a transcript. So don't worry about taking a million notes. Um, maybe you're jotting down a couple of words here and there, but uh, getting the transcript and then doing that same kind of search and and uh, word mapping with transcripts is really useful. Um, so what do I do next? So so then next, the the email task is to determine what email sequences we actually need to be sending. Um, so a lot of people want to hire me to write a new onboarding sequence or to write a retention sequence. And um, and I always, you know, I definitely look at what they're currently sending, but Based on the research, that and the way that their customers talk about what they do, that tells me which sequences are the most important sequences to be sending. Um, so I do believe strongly in a powerful onboarding and retention sequence. So those typically come up on the top list. Um, but if they, if the customers are talking about, like we had one recently where um, one of the questions we ask is like where they heard about the product, um, how they found out about it. And uh, and they majority of people said from a friend. And to me, that says, OK, we need to do an affiliate sequence. We need to promote an affiliate program or build one if that one doesn't exist and then promote it. Right. Um, but that needs to be built in to the cadence of emails that we're sending. So the research will determine what emails come first. Um, like I said, it's typically onboarding and then ongoing retention, but sometimes it changes. So tell me what, what is the number one sign that they need a better onboarding, they need a better onboarding sequence or a onboarding sequence period. Huh. Yeah. Uh, not having one is the number one sign. Uh, and then I would say, uh, there's a bit in the quantitative data that can tell you if you need better onboarding, and that is like drop off on open rates sometimes are um, valid measures, but they are so um, inaccurate that you really can't rely on just open rates. It's the goals. Like, are you reaching your goals? Are um, not just clicks, but like, are, are the clicks resulting in the intention of the email. If the intention of the email was to get um, a conversion, are the conversions happening on that email? Um, so you want to look at, like, are you reaching your goals with your email onboarding? Um, and if you aren't, then you likely need to do something about that. Um, and typically what I see is everyone's afraid of sending too many emails. Um, so I'll get into somebody's email program and have 
the research sitting next to me and looking at their, uh, you know, drip account or whatever it is, and they have four emails over the course of a month and that's their onboarding sequence. Um, and it's just not enough emails. If you think about the volume of email that you get on a daily basis, um, four emails over four weeks is just not going to cut it. Uh, the goal of an email onboarding system or uh, sequence is to build habits. Um, you're asking someone to build a new habit, whether it's purchasing a product or especially in the world of software, you're asking them to start doing something new that they've never done before. And like any other habit in the world, you have to create the muscle memory of it. And the muscle memory in this case is opening your emails, doing the task at hand and responding, logging into the app, um, doing an action, right? Uh, so if you don't build that muscle memory through email, um, then you're doing your customers a disservice and you're doing you a disservice too in that you're just not converting as many people as possible. Um, and you can't build habits with an email a week. Um, that's for like ongoing retention and uh, once they've already built a habit. Um, but, you know, in the world of like habit research, something like 21 days, you have to do something on a consistent basis and and then you'll it'll become something you just do without thinking about it. And especially for SaaS, like you're either asking them to do something they've never done before or you're asking them to change the way that they've done something. So if you're like an, if you're QuickBooks and they've always used um, like FreshBooks, <laughs> If they're a freelancer and they've always used FreshBooks and you're QuickBooks and they're trying you out, you're asking them to stop logging into FreshBooks and come log into QuickBooks and change their pattern of habits. So uh, it's e an even bigger challenge. And that's where you need email because you have to go to where they are. So what do you answer to, be, to people who might say, I get the habit forming and, and all of that idea, but like, what if people start complaining and what if they mark us as spam and then no one will ever receive our emails? What do you say to that? <clears throat> there is this really cool uh, onboarding sequence that I saw from Customer.io. They did, um, they sent a welcome email, I think one other email, and then I got an email that said, hey, do you want to learn more? Like, do you want us to walk you through Customer.io? And we're, we have eight lessons to send you. Here they are. Here's what each one is, what they're about. Are you, are you into it? If you want this, Click this button and we'll start sending it to you tomorrow. If not, you won't get any other emails from us. Um, and so getting their buy-in is huge. And then they, I think a week later, send a reminder like, hey, reminder, did you want this or no? This is your kind of last chance to grab it. Um, so getting their buy-in to say, yes, I do want daily emails for eight days. Um, they're not going to mark you as spam when they have said yes to doing it. It's very unlikely that they will do that. Um, some people use the spam button like the delete button, but hopefully in the world of like software, we're not running into those customers. Um, so I think getting their buy-in and then segmenting your list to know um, who they are and how, if the emails are valuable to them and they are able to follow through on what's being asked of them in each email, then it's not spam. They, you know, it, it's just, it's just not like if it's valuable and teaching them something, um, it's unlikely that they would market as spam. 
Yeah, I see it as a choose your own adventure type of type of deal, right? And I, I'm glad you're mentioning this because to me, that's kind of the secret of of good emails, right? You give the choice of people. You, you, they might receive an email. They might not be interested. They don't show any activity. There's no point trying to send them 21 emails in 21 days. However, they click a link that says, yes, please send me something. Send me those because I'm interested. Your, your open rate is going to go through the roof. Your click-through rate is going to go through the roof. I mean, it's just totally. it's basic email to do it this way. But people are so attached to the number of emails they receive that they don't want to let them go, right? Right. Yeah. And the, the other thing to remember is that you have a noisy few, right? So you have um, you have the people who reply to your emails and say, you're sending me way too many emails. This is you're spamming my inbox. Um, and you might get three responses like that in a, a week. And then that starts to scare people and say, like, as business owners, you start to go, oh, am I emailing people too often? Like, I don't know. Zach said I'm emailing him too often, so I probably am. Um, but that's one of how many customers. And just because one person says this is too much, it does not mean that it is. Um, again, you have to go back to like, okay, well, um, maybe even looking at that customer's history. Um, are they are they a good customer to begin with? Are they someone who's maybe not a good fit for your product? Uh, are they even opening all of your emails or are they just deleting them without even opening them? So look at that before you take someone's feedback like that and, and change your entire course of action. Look at the kind of quality of that customer and say, um, is this a customer we want to listen to? And do we want to dig into this feedback further? Or do we want to say, thank you so much for sharing how you feel. Um, I hear you. There's an unsubscribe button anytime you want to hit it. What are the signs that you need a retention sequence um if you don't have one <laughs> and then uh what is <laughs> after that yeah so most companies that i run into have at best an email every month with a receipt uh for you know their monthly payment um and if they're on an annual plan they don't email anybody like a annual plan customers get no emails um until their annual plan processes again, and then they get an invoice they, or they get a receipt for their payment. And they're like, whoa, you just charged me $800 or more. Like people, you got to send um, heads ups on annual plans that you're set charging them again. But um, so a lot of people don't send anything other than a monthly receipt. Um and kind of call that like the retention plan. Um, your a retention sequence is so important for building a relationship outside of the fact that you are um, a piece of software and they have a wallet with a credit card in it. Um, your customers will feel like you care about their business and their the growth of their business and that you want to see them succeed because at the end of the day, you are you don't have a you as a software company or as an e-commerce company, don't have a business without your customers. And so if they aren't succeeding um, and if they aren't loving your product, then, um, then they're not around. And it's super easy to churn away from a piece of software that does a job and really hard to churn away from a person or a group of people that are helping me succeed in my business whether I run an enterprise company or B2B or B2C, or I'm a small business owner, 
Um, all of those things matter. And even in the world of e-commerce, like something simple, like gathering the person's birthday makes them feel like they matter and that they are a human being. Like, okay, so an example um, from the world of e-commerce is Outdoor Voices is a fitness brand. Um, I don't know that they would call themselves a fitness brand because they're kind of like fitness for non-fitnessy people. Um, but they uh, they do this beautiful thing where they like proactively email people about a particular item. So I ordered a pair of leggings and they emailed me a couple of days after I placed the order and they said, hey, heads up, these leggings tend to fit pretty snug. And you may have seen that before you placed your order and that's great. And um, But if you didn't and you get them and you feel like they're a little too tight, that's why. And we're happy to do an exchange. Re- remember, we have free refunds and returns and all that. Um So that made me feel like they saw me as an individual, even though I knew that that was an automated email because I'm an email marketer. Um, It just made me feel like I mattered versus any other workout clothes that I could possibly buy. Um, And that happens across the board with software. I'm not saying that you have to send a weekly or twice a week email for a, a, a retention sequence. It's like once a month, every 60 days, something. Check in with your customers. Share a piece of valuable information that can help them build their business. If you run a scheduling software, it's likely that your clients are um, interested in things like productivity and time management. And what resources can you provide them that help them with their productivity and time management that then they can track back and like, if somebody learns about the Pomodoro technique from a, a guide that they get from a scheduling software, They're going to relate every time they use that technique and it's effective, they're going to relate that to your scheduling software and feel a sense of like ownership over the software too. So um, yeah, I'm a huge advocate for retention sequences. And uh, if all you're sending is receipts, you got to change that. It sounds a bit like you try to automate how you would typically send emails to people if you had a small, like a small business, right? To customers you don't really talk to that often. You you want to check in with them, right? You just want to say, hey, I came across this article. It's pretty cool. Read it. Or you may say, yeah, happy birthday or happy business anniversary. Or, you know, you, you try to check in in a... Obviously, it's going to be hard to be automated when you have thousands and thousands of customers, but you can make it really be personable by checking in like you would normally do to to another person with another person. Yeah, and that's uh, transactional emails, those email receipts and about your order and those kinds of things are they're they're great for being very um straightforward. You can add personality into transactional emails, but I think that they should focus on the details of here's the information, what you ordered, what you paid, when it will arrive, all those things. Um Relationship building emails like a retention sequence should be focused on providing value, storytelling. Um, They should be more text-based. They should be telling uh, about wins other customers are getting with the platform. Like use your, if you're gathering case studies, use those in a retention sequence and tell the story of other people like that customer and say, you know, especially like um, if you're an email platform and you have customers who are, have like under a thousand email subscribers, so they have a smaller list, um, you can send that segment a customized retention sequence 
uh, about all about other people who have those small lists. And like, you know, you could tell a story about how someone with 700 subscribers made a thousand dollars in a week. And that's really exciting to someone who has a small email list. But if they're getting stories about people who have 20,000 subscribers and are making $10,000 every week, you know, that's, that feels out of reach for them. So segmenting is really important in retention as well, because you want to speak to the customer and where they are in their journey and help them see themselves at that next phase. So they keep going. It just gives them a little bit of, you know, fuel for their fire. And then the last sequence you mentioned was this, um, especially with the sign, if word of mouth is a big uh, referral channel for you, if there's a lot of people coming from word of mouth, you mentioned you need an affiliate program, some sort of sequence like that. So maybe you can share yeah. briefly about the concept, because um, I'm not sure I've heard about it that often. Yeah, so this typically, well, it happens in both software and e-commerce, but you know, an affiliate program or referral program is where somebody gets money or product for referring other customers. And if this is happening in your audience naturally, a lot of people feel like, okay, well, it's already happening and we're not having to pay anyone to do that. So that's great. The benefit of saying, hey, we'll give you a kickback every time we get a new customer is that they're more likely to share that information. And they're more likely to write about it on their blog and to, if they are a service-based business, they are likely to sign their clients up for your service. So it becomes much more front and center when you can monetize it for them. And it doesn't have to be huge. It can have caps on it. It all depends on the way you run your business. Some people do, you know, uh, like I, I think it's, Postmates, maybe food delivery service that we have that said, you know, you can earn up to $100 on Postmates for referring other people. Great. So they have a cap on it. They're not saying like you can endlessly earn money and that's going to put them in the hole really fast. But some people, you know, a lot of software companies just pay out a percentage of the fee that they're getting for a client. Um, and I know if you've done any affiliate marketing, you probably know that there are people who make a great living doing affiliate marketing. There are also people, a lot of people who struggle with affiliate marketing. But as a business, if you see that happening already, it's a really great thing to set up for your customers to kind of pay it forward to them. And if you don't see word of mouth happening, that's another indicator that you might want to set something up that incentivizes some word of mouth. Building out a email sequence that talks about this affiliate program, what happens a lot is people launch an affiliate program and they go, hey, we have an affiliate program. They send an email and it's like, yay, we launched this affiliate program and here's the link to go sign up and go sign up. And then they never mention it again. They don't even think to like, now we need to go back into our onboarding and put an email about that in the onboarding now that we launched this program. So there's a lot of intricacies with launching an affiliate program, but I think the most important one is to continue to talk about it after launch day and build it into your not necessarily onboarding because that's still a little early to be asking people to refer other people, but definitely in your retention sequences, you want to build in um, mentions of your affiliate program and how they can join and, and then building out entire sequences for affiliates so that they understand how they can refer people to you and, you know, giving them resources to do that. That's something that I love doing is helping people build those programs and uh, it makes such a big difference. 
I guess another benefit of it is actually it becomes more measurable, right? Word of mouth is, I wouldn't consider it to be a channel. Some people say it's a channel. I think that's bullshit. I think it's it's just normal behavior. I don't think you can classify it as a channel as other, but at least it's a, using it as an affiliate program or referral program is going to measure its success, right? You can start seeing, okay, we got X number of sales coming from referral and it's starting to become a bit more tangible, right? Yeah, and it's also, you know, everybody talks about like dark data and this, uh, well, we don't know when people are talking about us in Slack channels or Facebook groups or whatever. Well, this is a way to know. So it makes sense if you feel like you get all these referrals or leads and you don't know. If you're working really hard top of funnel and you're doing UTM links and everything and you're trying to track and you're getting all these customers and you don't know where they're coming from, try an affiliate program and see if that changes what you see in the on the quantitative data. Do you think I've, I've uh, is there a point you want to make about the email that I haven't asked you? Uh, is there a, qu- a question that I should have asked that I haven't? Is there a point that you like to make around email marketing that you you tend to rant about? Tell me. <laughs> I rant about a lot of things in email. I think we have covered most of them in that, like, you need an onboarding program, you need a retention program, and it all has to be centered around customer research um you have i mean yeah on this show it's kind of like beating a dead horse to talk about customer research at this point but it's never enough. it matters <laughs> it matters in email and it and you're right it is never enough because um everybody thinks that they've done customer research because they talk to their customer we talk to our customers all the time no you haven't you haven't talked to them about them uh-uh. um so uh-uh. yeah you haven't uh-uh I know some people that I really admire who have a post-it note on their computer that says, have you talked to a customer today? And I think that's really powerful to just make sure that you talk to a customer every single day and name. continue. Who does that? Oh, <laughs> is a product manager that I met at a product conference last year. He right. works for um, Clavio and uh, he think he runs the product team. His name's Jeremy. Um, and he talks about having that post a note to say, do I run, do I talk to a customer? Have I done that? Um, and if like, if he does nothing else in that day, he feels really accomplished if he's talked to a customer and taken um, some insights back to the team. Um, so product people tend to be uh, really customer focused um, if they have the time to do it and if they make the time to do it. So no, I think we've talked about kind of my biggest rants on email. Awesome. You know what? Here's my view about the customer research debate or whatever. What I think is happening is the old game that some marketers are still playing is about like growth hacks and shortcuts and copying competitors and trying to go as fast as possible to the finish line, treating it as a sprint instead of a marathon and all of that. The new game a lot of marketers are playing, including you, is that they understand that the way to win long term is to like focus on the customer and go outwards, right? Everything starts with the customer, marketing, there is market in this, and it's all about the market first. And if those people don't catch up, they're gonna be fucked. They're gonna have to. They're gonna have to evolve, right? And you know what? Even even the marketer that I would say is not the most customer centric, in my opinion, Neil Patel. Even him is starting to talk about this. You know, which is super yeah. super surprising. Even him understands that the old game is not really working out anymore. It's time to upgrade and it's time to think about marketing to start with market. And a lot of really good marketers have been playing this game for. Th- like I would say almost centuries at this stage. So it's not new, but it's, it's, I'm glad to hear that from you. I'm glad to hear that from other guests over and over again, because I think that's the only way to convince people to, to play this new game, or at least this game that a lot of people are ignoring. 
Well, and, you know, the thing is about customer research, and I'd say this is probably my other rant in the world, is you can have all the customer research in the world and you can still create an email sequence that does not perform well. But if you take that as data and use it to inform the next iteration, then it's worth doing. And uh, email is 100% about testing it. You have to do the research, put the test out into the world, get the data back, the, the quantitative data, and see how it performs, and then iterate and keep going through that process, like wash, rinse, repeat, because email is never done and you need to always be testing it. Um, so that's that's the other thing that like I've said, if you know some email conference, I'm just going to walk out and be like, Test everything and then just mic drop and walk away because <laughs> like that's that's all anybody needs to know. I knew you had a, a rant left in you uh, before the end of this <laughs> podcast. Last yeah. question for you. Uh, what are the top three resources you'd recommend marketers or listeners uh, today? It could be anything from podcasts, books, conferences, whatever. So uh, three books. One is the Jobs to be Done Handbook written by Bob Moesta and Chris Speak. They are the founders of Jobs to be Done Methodology. Uh, it's a really great, it's like 60 pages at the most. It's very thin, very easy to go through. The second book is called Email Marketing Rules. It's by my friend Chad White, who used to run research at Litmus, which is an email authority platform. And really great kind of overview of the rules, ins and outs of email marketing, if you're into that or want to know more. And then the third one is not a business book, but I think it's the best business book. And that is called Nonviolent Communication. Uh, it is a book all about how to communicate with other people and what makes for powerful communication that makes people feel seen and heard and understood. And to me, especially in the written format, you have to be able to uh, convey that people matter. And it's one thing to look somebody in the face and have a conversation and, and you can get a lot from body language and um, eye contact. But when you're writing, you have to understand better communication and nonviolent communication is uh, Marshall Rosenberg is the author of that. And it's a fantastic business book for dealing with uh, writing emails um, to your customers, writing your email sequences, but then also like Dealing with clients, interfacing with other people, business partners, all of that. It's all improves from nonviolent communication. Nice. Uh, Val, you've been a pleasure to talk to. Really enjoy your take on email and on marketing in general. Uh, where can people send you an email and connect, uh, connect with you? <laughs> yeah, so you can join my email list. Um, so there's a couple of places you can find me. Uh, one is at fixmychurn.com. Uh, we mentioned earlier that's a company that I started recently where we kind of take a holistic approach to fixing churn problems, but largely centered around email. And then also you can find me at valkeisler.com. And if you go to valkeisler.com slash subscribe, I think is my email list, but there's also, it's just in the footer of my uh, website all over the place. And I'm on Twitter a lot at lovevalgeisler over there. Awesome. Once again, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email list uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a one-to-one as -one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. 
We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always uns unsubscribe for sure, if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet, and we always Uh, can improve. So you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com. Good or bad, please feel free to send me an email. And the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode, please share it to your friends, your colleagues, or whoever might like it. And also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast. Because if you leave us a five-star review, it means that more people would be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker. So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, came through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.